Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me today on the Word Podcast. We're continuing our examination of the parables that Jesus spoke. You know, I just thought of something. Sometimes we say the parables that Jesus taught. <coughs> no, I didn't teach parables per se. The parables were just a, a device that Jesus used uh, whereby he taught of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, we're going through the parables, and we're looking at Matthew, but then checking the cross-references out in Mark and Luke, where they also gave accounts of those parables. And we're in Mark right now, chapter 9, and we looked at verses 38 through 40. Uh, I guess it was just a... Uh, so let's uh, go back and read those again and continue on. Because this, this is really important. Uh, John said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Gosh, you got to love these guys, right? You got to love John, Peter, and I mean, the disciples. They're just like us. They really, really are. I mean, they're humans just like we are. And John, particularly, John was the, likely the youngest one. I mean, it's not outside the room of possibility that he was 19 or 20 years old. I mean, that young. And so is that not the kind of thing that uh, each, I know I would have said that, you know, that kind of thing. Hey, we saw somebody over here casting out demons in your name, and we tried to get him to stop it. Because you know what? He's not one of us. He's not following you. He's not with us, so he, he can't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> Verse 39. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name. Remember, that's the operative phrase. That's where the power is in my name, and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for he who is not against us is for us. And again, that verse 40 right there, we'll hear that quoted all the time. You know, the one who's not against us is for us. And it's really misapplied, misconstrued in a lot of ways. He says that within the context right here of someone who is calling up on the name of the Lord because apparently they believe. They believe that Jesus is teaching. They believe that he is uh, the one that's brought forth the word of the kingdom of heaven. And so they're simply putting into practice what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said, you know, he will not soon afterwards speak evil of me <coughs> because of what he's seeing, because of what he's believing. So if he's not against us, he is for us. In other words, he's not doing what the religious rulers were doing, uh, coming against them face to face, being combative and everything. But Jesus continues, verse 41, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Huh? So he's, what does that mean? Well, let me just keep reading. Verse 42, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. So we've seen that in Matthew, that part of the setup, actually, for the parable part that we're about to get to here in a few verses. But we see something here we hadn't seen before. Jesus says, whoever gives a cup of water and gives it to you, to drink because of your name as followers of Christ. In other words, they are helping you. They're meeting your basic needs. Whoever does this 
and because you are a follower of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. So Jesus is saying that, no, not that you earn your way in the kingdom of heaven by doing a good deed to somebody who believes, but he's saying that good deed of a drink of water, that cup of water, is actually a manifestation of belief and faith that they have. Okay, They believe also. They believe what you believe. They see that you're a follower of Christ, and they go, you know, I believe they're right about that, and they help by giving you a drink of water. He says they're not going to lose their reward. Then in verse 42, he's talking about what we've seen before. You know, anybody that causes a little one to stumble. And the context that we saw from Matthew was that Jesus actually had a child there, using it as an example. Because you remember what was going on? The disciples were arguing over which one of them was the greatest <laughs> in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you have to be like this little child right here. You have to walk in this type of humility, this type of understanding. You know? And he says, you know what? If anyone causes a little one to stumble, I do not think that it's limited to uh, just a, a child. Uh, I think it may be those that are younger in the faith, okay, or ones that are walking this way. If someone causes them to stumble, it'd be better for them if they had a big rock tied around their neck and they're thrown into the sea. And then Jesus continues with what we've seen in Matthew already. Verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. So here again, we see Jesus mentioning the unquenchable fire. In Matthew, he called it the fiery hell. Okay, he spoke of that fire, uh, the eternal fire, he called it there. And so be, he says, it's better for you to cut off. Now, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. He's speaking hyperbole. Jesus did not mean that if you sin with your hand, you need to immediately cut your hand off. No, if you sin with your hand, then you need to repent, confess, and move on. You need to cut off that which is causing your hand to do that. You need to cut off that which is causing your leg or your eye or whatever to do that. To cease doing that which is bringing forth that activity. Now, in Mark, Mark gives a couple of, how many times does he say this? He says it three times. <clears throat> it says this little phrase that we're about to see. And when you look in your Bibles, it'll probably have a bracket around verse 44. And more often, it'll have a bracket, and it'll say something. Well, here's what it says on New American Standard. Uh, it says, verses 44 and 46, which are identical to verse 48, are not found in the early manuscripts. Uh, remember, we don't have an official notarized copy of the Bible sent from the Most High God. Okay, We have copies of manuscripts, but we don't have an original extent copy of anything. And I think God did that on purpose because what would man do? Man would worship the darn thing. You know, they really would. But we have the word in the way that he delivered it to us. But there are variations, and you'll see some that will have a, a verse or have something like this, and other ones don't have it. And quite often you'll see this phrase in Bibles. It'll say, well, these verses right here weren't found in the early manuscripts. Okay, well, that's true. In some of the early manuscripts, they're not found. But in other words, they are. Okay, in other words, they are. In Matthew, verse 11, remember that verse? It said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That right there is only shown in Matthew. And it says the same thing. Early manuscripts do not contain this. And, you know, some of them, that's true. They sort of strike a balance. Well, half the manuscripts contain that, the other half don't. So the people who put together that version translation of the Bible make a decision. A lot of times, though, they'll sit there and say, well, it doesn't appear in the early manuscripts. It doesn't appear in the three or four of the earlier ones, but it appears in a thousand of them. 
and they still leave it out. There are little agendas afoot sometimes with some things. But here's what the verse is in Matthew 9, verse 44. Jesus had just said, uh, it's better for you to cut off something like that than to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. The sentence continues where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, where their worm, T-H-E-I-R, to personally, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Verse 46, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to stop. I'm running out of time. The last two verses right here, we'll pick up in the next episode, then we'll press on. But you, that phrase uh, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched appears in verse 48. Mark uses it as just a punctuation kind of thing, you know. In verse 44 and verse 45, he says it at the end of every one of these things. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is the same thing we saw in Matthew. Is if there's something that is getting in the way and causing you to stumble, then remove it from your life. Okay? But remove it. Remove it without sin. Sometimes people say, well, my spouse has caused me to stumble, so I need to divorce her. Really now? No, that's not what he's talking about. Anyway, my time is up. We'll resume this conversation next time. Again, I'm Dale. I'll see you then. Goodbye.